acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Throughout our lessons from the book of Genesis this summer, we've seen again and again sibling rivalry and estrangement. Brother against brother, sister against sister. And just last week, we heard the story of how the sons of Jacob turned on their brother Joseph, faked his death, and sold him into slavery. And this week, as we come to the conclusion of, of this cycle of readings from Genesis, we hear about the dramatic reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. By miraculous providence, Joseph has been, uh, he's become the, a prince in Egypt, a governor, and is perfectly poised to rescue the clan from horrible famine and the promised seed of Abraham from perishing from the earth. And yet, Joseph's revelation of his true identity to his brothers does not come immediately. He withholds the truth from them in order to test them. He presents to them a face of judgment before revealing his grace and his mercy. When the brothers come into Egypt to buy food in the time of famine, he recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. The text says that he treated them like strangers, and he spoke roughly to them. He accuses them of being spies, and, and he has them thrown into jail for three days. Then he sends all but one of them back to Israel with the instruction to bring back with them their younger brother, Benjamin. The trials he puts them through are long and circuitous. One might even be forgiven for suspecting that Joseph was being vengeful and spiteful. And yet, throughout it all, he has to excuse himself many times to weep in secret. He acts reluctantly and with sorrow, but through it all, he has a master plan. And so what is this plan? Why does he allow them to sweat it out in anxiety and terror? Remember, they think he's just a, a, an Egyptian government official. And, you know, in those days, if you upset a, a, a potentate, you know, off with your head, right? If he plans to show them mercy, why does he hold back his love? Why does he not immediately fall upon their necks and kiss them and hug them like he, he will at last in the end? He wishes to test them. But not in order to, to see if they are worthy. Uh, because how can there be any doubt 
in his mind that they're, that they're not worthy, that they're in fact guilty. Uh, they are the ones who, who beat him and, and threw him in a ditch and sold him into slavery. No, he tests them in the sense of putting them through a trial. He wants to draw out from them repentance. It isn't retribution he desires so much as rehabilitation. He wants to show grace and pardon to them, but in the process, he wants to teach them to be better men. He wants them to at last learn the true meaning of brotherhood. They believe that the trial that they're experiencing is God's judgment on them for what they did to Joseph. Their, their conscience is stricken, right? They say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he when he pleaded with us, and, and, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben, uh, one of the brothers, begins to say, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against a boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. He starts to kind of pass the buck. He says, this wasn't my idea. Look, karma's getting us now. And yet, as of yet, although they're, they're beginning to feel uh, regret, they have not yet been truly changed. They only regret the consequences of their sin. They, they have not yet truly repented and chosen a better way. That is until, still in disguise, Joseph threatens to keep their youngest brother, Benjamin, the, the last remaining son of their father's beloved wife, Rachel, as a slave. And the brothers are, are struck to the heart. And then one of them, Judah, steps up. And he offers to take his brother Benjamin's place as the slave out of love for his father and out of genuine remorse that their actions have broken his heart. They say, if, if, if Benjamin doesn't come back with us, our father will die of grief. They've sold Joseph and now they're, they're going to, to lose Benjamin too. And Jacob will just die of sorrow. Their ordeal, their trial, though the one that they have endured at Joseph's hand has, has turned their hearts. They have, they have learned what it, it really means to be sons of their father and their brother's keeper. Joseph responds, by revealing himself. It's, it's, it's me, Joseph. And he pours out his grace and mercy to the very men that betrayed him. And they're understandably sort of 
shocked and, and, and kind of terrified because this is the one that they that they sold into slavery and now he has their life in his in his hands and he he chooses to show mercy instead of vengeance last week we looked at at some of the many ways in which joseph is a type of christ the parallels between the two of them and and they continue here because the same combination of sternness and grace that we see here in, in Joseph belongs to Jesus Christ as well. Our Lord Jesus Christ stands ready with forgiveness and grace abounding for guilty sinners. And yet, and yet there is no chastisement, no fiery trial, no pain of remorse he wouldn't relent from inflicting upon us in order to bring us to repentance to sorrow for sin to teach us righteousness why because it's not merely pardon that we need it's not just to be let off the hook but it's transformation of the heart, heartfelt repentance. What good would it do for Christ, for instance, to pardon a greedy man without also delivering his heart from the chains of avarice? How could he be, how could he be restored unless he was free indeed? Unless his greedy heart was changed to one of generosity. That's what it really means to be restored. That's what it really means to be rehabilitated. Christ will hide his merciful heart behind a mass of judgment, behind the law, in order to draw out from us true conviction and heartfelt repentance. Consider the, the gospel lesson this morning. The Canaanite woman cries after Jesus. She falls at his feet. She begs him to heal her daughter. Why then does he give her the cold shoulder? Right? He, just like Joseph, who spoke roughly to his brothers. I mean, Jesus is pretty rough. Why does he rebuff her with the words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He wants to test her. He wants to draw out from her the faith, the, the perseverance in prayer that will indeed set her daughter free, that will indeed make her a true child of God. Perhaps... Perhaps he wanted also to shame and convict his disciples, right, who were there, and they said, send her away. The woman does not disappoint him. She answers with faith, with perseverance. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She recognizes 
the grace of God. She pushes on forward and she displays faith and her daughter is healed instantly. Can there be any doubt of the impression that this would have had on Jesus' disciples? Did this Canaanite woman uh, this enemy of Israel, right? Did she understand the grace of God more than they? Was their faith so small as to be limited to, to Israel? Couldn't they see that God's grace was abounding and overflowing? Our, our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus Christ, would have us learn of him in the school of hard knocks. In affliction, in anxiety of doubt, and the humiliation of failure. And yet, if our hearts are so hard, if we, if we persist in our sin, in the outer darkness, and in the flames of, of Gehenna, He will stop at nothing to produce faith in us. He will stop at nothing to produce repentance and true righteousness in us. Why? Because he's cruel? Because he's sadistic? Because he's harsh and unforgiving? By no means. Because he is love and mercy. Because he weeps for us and longs to throw his arms about our necks. Moses said, just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. And likewise, the author of Hebrews wrote, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Therefore, therefore, we should not let the suffering and trials we endure harden our hearts. Let us instead regard them as an opportunity to grow nearer into the men and women God calls us to become. We should persist in prayer and not cease from doing good. Listen to Joseph's amazing words to his brothers. He says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Throughout it all, right? Through, throughout everything, God has been working behind the scenes. And even, even their sin and their rebellion had a place in God's ultimate purposes. And as our epistle says, he's... He's imprisoned all in disobedience. Why? So he might have mercy upon all. What they intended for evil, God intended for good. In all things, in every trial, in every circumstance, he's been drawing them towards his grace and his mercy so that at last he can throw his arms around their neck and welcome them as brothers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.